Today, my guest on the Courage of a Leader podcast is John Lanier, CEO of Middle Market Methods. You'll immediately hear his passion for efficiency, effectiveness, and creating value. I'm glad you're here for our discussion on how to execute extremely well on true priorities. And I'm excited because I know you'll walk away with actionable ideas. Welcome to the Courage of a Leader podcast. This is where you hear real-life stories of top leaders achieving extraordinary results. And you get practical advice and techniques you can immediately apply for your own success. This is where you will get inspired and take bold, courageous action. I'm so glad you can join us. I'm your host, Amy Riley. Now, are you ready to step into the full power of your leadership and achieve the results you care about most? Let's ignite the courage of a leader. John, thank you for being here today. You are an expert in strategy, growth, productivity, and people. So there are a good number of leadership-focused topics that you and I could have explored during this conversation. I asked you if we could discuss how to execute well on true priorities. Because I know I work with many leaders who struggle to prioritize, struggle to stick to those priorities, and are constantly getting sidelined by the fire of the day. Uh, And of course, our marketplace is dynamic and things are shifting quickly. So let me start here with that topic. How do you define or how do you think about priorities? It's one of my favorite topics, actually, and I'm, I'm pleased to be with you. All of us are bombarded with way more information than we can digest, mm-hmm. filtering algorithms to the professionals call it cognitive dissonance. And sometimes it works to our favor and sometimes it weeds out the wrong stuff. But absent formal training in a model to know how to address this stuff, we can focus inappropriately too much time on things that don't matter and completely whiff on things that do. So I've seen priorities being determined by the squeakiest wheel or, hey, this is the request that was made by the most senior leader uh, in my org. I should start there. How could a leader truly think objectively about setting priorities? Well, I want to go back to uh, some of your entree comments there because you dangle red meat in front of a hungry tiger. (laughs) One, I identify as the urgent versus the important. Nice. There are a lot of things that could consume our bandwidth, and those are tactical, things that happen during the day. And let's let's relate it to the homes we live in. If we have a water leak, that's urgent. And lack of attention can metastasize into something terrible, like a flooded basement, rotten wood, and all that beautiful stuff. Mm-hmm. But is it really important? Like, are we in the right neighborhood uh, for our kids' schools? Do we want to retire here? Those are more thoughtful questions and they're more strategic in nature. So that's one thing that uh, triggered my Pavlovian response. The other 
was uh, you traced it to the boss. Worst kind of power ever in an organization is position power. You can, it is very efficient, do this, but it skips over a lot of things I hope we have time to visit on uh, and discuss is uh, the influential aspects, the solicitous piece about, okay, I need input. And one of my, I'm an avid reader, continuous student, and uh, Simon Sinek had a bestseller a while back called Start With Why. And uh, it's one of those things that if we don't address, we can't count on our constituency automatically investing their personal capital in this big decision because they might not agree with it. Uh I'd have a better idea, but because we're all knowing, because we have position power, we assume we know the right answers. You know what they say about assumptions, right? Yeah. Here. Uh, So... You already got my attention that we tripped over two things that I think are no-nos. Say more about urgent versus important. You gave a great analogy, right? I love the analogy of, hey, it's urgent. There's a water leak. What's really important, right? Are we in the right neighborhood? Are our kids set up to go to schools that we prefer? Are we just are we just assessing? Like, here's the things I think are important. I should give them sure. that label. And then make sure that there is enough important things in that list. Sure, let's give it a little context. That might be a, a better answer uh, from from uh, my perspective. Is it? Uh, I do a lot of planning with people. Yeah. My target market is predominated by private equity investors. Their job is to find small businesses with a lot of potential, and it may be the first institutionalized capital that has come to the, the owner-operator, founder-owner-operator. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the strategy often is in their heads. It's worked that way. And one of the things that a professional investor does is institutionalize and acculturate something you and I might recognize as, as governance uh, because it has policies and procedures that are documented mm-hmm. from uh, disaster recovery, business continuity. The buzzword now is contingency planning. So when I go through a planning session and something new pops up, particularly when it's strategic, a common reaction is, I don't have time to do that. Yeah. Okay, I hear you. Why? And that's when you start understanding from their perspective. And this, there's some change management baggage here. Mm-hmm. Unless I address something that is really preoccupying somebody's time, like the leaky water line that I alluded to earlier, if you don't take that off the table, it's really hard to focus. Okay. okay yeah. So just like if, if you're camping and, and uh, somebody's snoring, you're not necessarily going to be able to fall asleep. So True. you take the distraction off the table. But that's only a piece. That's only a piece of it. I'd argue that if you're planning, you, you've got to have a, a goal in mind. Yeah. The, the ancient mariners and their sextants, they had to have a North Star to point to before they started trying to navigate. Okay, what's our North Star? Uh-huh. Be a statement. We'd like to be the best at X. Okay, that's a nice generic statement. Fill in the blank. Uh-huh. How do you know you you got there or even got to being there and then you get into a goal? So, okay, well, how do we make that happen? And then you get down to the urgent versus important because the for me, ultimately, if you're 
aspiration is enhanced enterprise value. You, you first have to ask, why do, our, why do my customers buy from me? I call that a unique value proposition. Uh-huh. And customers buy because they perceive value. I don't talk about price. Value is what I get versus what I paid to have it. Uh-huh. It's really value matters. Did I get it when I wanted it? That's timeliness. Is it any good? That's quality. And if one of those three or some combination of those three failed, then there's this service thing for how fast do I acknowledge it and remedy it? That is why customers buy from us. So whatever it is, is your car, is your house, is your clothing, is your computers, whatever it is, your food, it all maps back to those decisions. And everything prioritized, I would argue, should enhance our ability to substantiate and lever our unique value proposition. So yeah. there are some simple tools that, that you could use when you have, and when I plan with people, it, it is really, really common. It's really, really common that there is more to do than you could get done in five years. Absolutely. Less there. <laughs> And and there, there's almost this this panic in somebody's face. I've been on the other side of that, by the way. I know yeah. what it feels like. Yeah, I, I see no, no, panic no, no, no. in leaders' eyes every day, John. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So it's oh, oh my gosh, we can't get all that done in in here. So yeah. don't worry, don't worry, don't have to. Let's use something to help us sort through it. Okay. Well, this is where we get into criteria urgent versus the important. I use really simple tools, a payoff matrix. Great. It has two axes. One is how hard is it to do? Yeah. And you have to have a line of demarcation between easy and hard. And I usually use time. Okay. If I get it done in 90 days, that's fairly simple. If it's more like four quarters, that's another trigger. That's complex. Yeah project plan. So that's a whole nother topic. Yep. The impact. What is the impact? impact yep. Relative to the business model, I'll just pull a number out of there. On a run rate basis, do I benefit by more or less than $250,000 a year? And it's amazing how those simple things, 90 days and 250 can help you sort. Mm. What you tend to see when you talk about this stuff is that you've got some high impact, easy things those have to be number one because they help pay for everything else. There are some low impact, hard to do, opposite extreme, low impact, hard, don't do it. But in, put it in that matrix, people don't get it. Like, well, there's not much benefit and that takes forever. Okay, we can kill that. Yep. Now we're left with the other two. Mm-hmm. Or not, you should do your low impact, easy to do second because it helps pay for other stuff as opposed to going and borrowing money to do it. Ah, uh, well, I'm, I, is that also creating some momentum, John? Of or course, of course. Done, right? Yeah. Of course. There was a, a book a, a few years back by uh, Ram Sharon and Larry Bosti called Discipline, the Execution of Getting Things Done, something like that. And here was my major takeaway. Any company, and it, he was Really, these two authors were really, they were really aiming this, more institutionalized companies. And they said, if you try to do more than three things at one time, 
you're not going to get anything done. Well, think about how how much with, with the resource pools that they probably have at their disposal, how much more important it is to maybe focus on one yeah. if lower middle market. Yeah. So that's when project management is your friend. Yes. There's another important point on that. Okay. Is, I'm going to introduce a, another book title. It's called How Big Things Get Done. Okay. And it, and it had this lovely quote in it. It's dr- grammatically incorrect, but I, so I'm going to modify it a little bit. But it basically, okay. I'm saying plan slowly, execute fast. Okay. Yep. The quote was plan Go slowly, execute right. fast. My English teacher wouldn't like me for that. She would <laughs> But what they're really saying is if it's complex, inherently it's going to take a long time. It's got a lot of tasks. There are a lot of dependencies. It's going to suck resources like a black hole in space. Plan, 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 because it, it will never be perfect, but try to minimize the surprises and really, really get your arms around how long this could take to do. Yeah. But I find for people, who, by the way, plug for project management. I think it is one of the most underappreciated skill sets in all the business, irrespective of size, age, profitability, or any other criteria you want to put on it, is how do you manage getting back to the, the title of this discussion is how do you how do you execute true priorities? If it's complex, then project management is your buddy. And in a very simple litmus test, so how long do you think this will take? Sounds like a month. He said, well, wait a minute. Is there some order here about what yeah, you yeah, second and third? And when you find out it's two is dependent on one and three is dependent on two, uh-huh. became 90. When you have that picture, one of the beauties of this is that when you know who needs to do the task, yeah. you can telescope to them about when you're going to need it. It also flushes out whether you have the bandwidth at all or the skill sets to do this stuff. This, this is really great. I want to pause you there, John, because you have already sure. said so many great things that I want to <laughs> underline, underscore for listeners. First, I love this urgent versus important. And this idea of, hey, look at the ones that seem urgent. And if they're going to distract you from being able to work on what's important, let's take care of them. Right. But be honest with yourself about that. Then when you're looking at what's important, what is your North Star? Where are you headed? How are you going to know when you're there? That's your goal. What leads you towards your goal? Right. What is creating value in terms of timeliness, quality, service that's going to help serve your goal? Use that as determinants. Then you talked about creating criteria. So you could look at your effort impact grid and you put forth the criteria of time and money, right? So how hard is it going to be? How long is it going to take? For other leaders, it might be resources, right? Or or skill set. How hard is it going to be? And then the impact. And you start with your stuff that's not hard and gives a great impact. And then you said go to some of the things where it's it's low impact, but lower on the hard, on the effort scale. 
right? And then you're talking about how amazingly instructive project management can be, right? Get your Gantt chart together. What's the sequence? What's the handoffs? What's the interdependencies? Get that all laid out in some kind of spreadsheet or software so you can take a look at that and really understand what's the overall timeline. What are you, what are you up against here? Mm -hmm. so that you can prioritize and uh, decide how many priorities you can take on at once. Can I uh, add a footnote to the urgent piece? Absolutely. Sometimes uh, the urgent is a byproduct of not taking time to teach somebody else how to do it. Ah, oh, okay. Because So now oh. you've become the bottleneck. Yes, inherently. Yeah. So it is very common in my practice when I'm working again with these, these uh, founder entrepreneurs and they are used to multitasking, all of them, because they can't afford an army. And sometimes it creeps up on them mm -hmm. that it's time for me to teach somebody else how to do this, not only to be able to take a vacation every now and then, but you could get hit by a bus. The number one hazard of leaders in small companies when they run out of time is they don't have time to think about priorities. Mm -hmm. And by default, mm -hmm. they get into urgencies because they don't have time to think about priorities. Oh, I'll get to it tonight. No, you won't. You could be exhausted. Yeah. You got you might be coaching Little League too or something yeah. like that. No, you yeah. won't. Yeah. So you start off behind the next morning and it just keeps building and building and building. And it, it can wear you out. It is I, physically yeah. taxing and it's emotionally draining. So I, yeah. more to it than that is why am I, and, and I ask some people sometimes, just write down for a week for me in 30-minute chunks where you spend your time. And when you have this pie chart at the end, you say, uh -huh. this is your life. Hiring somebody to replace you, is this your expectation? And I can't recall anybody ever saying, yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> the reaction is more like, wow, I didn't realize I was investing that much time in this. I said, well, that can be fixed. But getting to the people piece, buy-in, change management, and there's this, this yeah. between effectiveness and efficiency that, that is a big deal. And it is very efficient to tell somebody to do something. It's not effective. Because when you take time to be effective, it tends to be more sustainable because you're getting back to that Simon Sinek thing. Why should they do what I'm asking them to consider? And it gets down to whether or not they believe it's a plausible resolution to something that impacts them. Yeah. So it sometimes you have to slow down to speed up. Yeah, yeah. You've given us a couple of examples of that. Uh, John, let me pause us here and tell the listeners more about you. John Lanier <laughs> is CEO of Middle Market Methods, M3. John began his career in asset-based lending, to which he attributes valuable lessons in cash flow and working capital integrity. In the most recent 21 years, John has supported lower middle market portfolio companies of private equity sponsors. M3 focuses on value-creating solutions covering strategy, growth, productivity, and people. 
The resultancy practice has logged over 500 deliverables for more than 170 portfolio companies for at least 65 private equity firms. John memorialized his methodology in a book entitled Value Creation in Middle Market Private Equity. He also writes quarterly value creation articles. John has a BBA in finance from Georgia, an MBA from St. Leo, and a doctorate in strategic leadership from Regent. Thank you for being here, John. Loving this. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. I want to again, underscore a couple of things that you said before um, I shared more about your credentials. I see it all the time, John, the leaders becoming the bottleneck. They're doing all of the doing and they're not getting others involved, right? And they're not spending that time on planning and strategic thinking, which we have been talking about how important that is in this conversation. You, uh, you, you, you triggered a flashback. May I share? Yes. So all of us can have teammates that are quite comfortable with you making the decisions for them, despite uh, you paying them handsomely to otherwise own it themselves. Yep. It's, it's an easy trap to get into. And some of the executives I coach on how to get past this is incredibly simple. And it's actually and I've never had anybody say waste of time didn't work. Said, okay, the next time, and, and some people on a spectrum may tend to be bigger offenders of this than others. So why don't we go to the Pareto principle and play 80-20? Okay. Think about your, your, your biggest violator of this stuff, the reverse delegator extraordinaire. Next time they come in and dump something on your desk, just very calmly, what's this? And they explain it. So that's putting some texture around it. Said, uh, oh, if I weren't here, how would you fix this? <laughs> they tend to have a good answer. And I said, this is the hard part. Say, pretend I'm not here and then put your head back down and ignore them standing there and see how long they stand there before they realize, oh, my God, I just got empowered, delegated, decided <laughs> to go do it. I said, see how easy that was? And we usually have a chuckle about it. Uh -huh. And, and it, it can be tailored a bit given the personalities involved. But the point is, sometimes leadership encourages behaviors that are counterproductive. Yeah. And how do we undo it without being nasty, uh -huh. but effective and efficient? And yeah. you may have to repeat it once or twice for some folks that just prefer not to make the decision until you have to have that tougher conversation. It says, okay, the last three times you came in here, you actually knew how to do it. So why didn't you do it? You were empowered to do it. Why didn't you do it? Yeah. And and that's when you find out if there's a, a, a bigger issue you have to deal with. But it's one of my favorite stories, and I love to do it because the batting average is incredibly high. I, I love it. If I weren't here, how would you approach this? Exactly. What would you do? Uh, exactly. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I see so many leaders in the trap of, I'm a leader, I'm supposed to be doing this stuff for them, right? I'm supposed to be fixing this. I'm supposed to be solving all the problems that they bring my way. I'm supposed to be doing all the doing and thinking all of the thinking, right? And, and truly leaders wanna create other leaders around them who are taking on the doing and the thinking with them. And if we can do that, 
getting back to some of the stuff that, that started our conversation, we have time to think. And, and when you're trying to be creative, you're trying to be uh, strategic. He said, okay, it's nine o'clock for the next hour. I'm going to be strategic. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Okay. It doesn't work that way. I mean, in, in my own case, Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night with an idea. And I learned a long time ago that if I don't at least write it down by the time mm-hmm. I wake up this morning, it's gone forever. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes my uh, I, I have a home office. And sometimes uh, when my better half very nicely brings my cup of coffee, I've already been in my office three hours and then it's six in the morning. He said, well, you got an early start. So had a great idea. Wanted to capture it and tease it out before everything else started today. So it, you have to have an opportunity to respond to these things because they truly may be once in a lifetime. If we are so stressed about the urgent versus the important and and creativity is a subset of the important, it doesn't have a snowball's chance in a hot place because you you don't yourself, you don't give your brain time to play with this stuff. Yeah, I just wrote down mental bandwidth. We don't have the mental bandwidth for it. We don't have any simmer capability in the background. I hear many people talking about, you know, like something is simmering back there, right? It mm-hmm. might pop for you at 3 a.m. in the morning and then and then you jump on that. But if you're so consumed with the fire of the day, right, and with all of the doing, then you don't have that bandwidth for something to percolate. John, I want to ask you one more question. We've talked about setting priorities. We've talked about planning. Um, I think something that often gets neglected is post-implementation. Hmm. Right? The initiatives rolled out. The program is happening. And then we forget some things after the go-live date, whatever that looks like. Tell us, what do we need to focus on post-implementation? Oh, gosh. Uh, it's one of my pet peeves. When we get through with stuff, when it works, we ought to celebrate. We ought to we ought to really give ourselves a chance to enjoy, uh, to reflect, to decompress. Uh-huh. And some people I work with are pretty good at that. Here's the one that bugs me. When I said you tweaked the nerve, here's the one that yeah. bugs. Me. There are things that did not work. Yeah. And we seem to be very reluctant as humans to have that lessons learned loop about, oh, this was painful, especially leaders. I'm arguing strongly this incumbent upon us to however painful it is. Do you want to pay to learn it two, three, four times a decade? Seriously. Or you want to say, you want to ask yourself, what really caused this? And how can we inoculate ourselves from it the next time? What, What was the leading indicator that we missed that we should have read differently. And I'll, I'll map this back to something practical. On the initial investment, there's a lot of diligence about whether or not this is something that meets our criteria for, for capital allocation. Okay, you go through it again when you make acquisitions to that same company that is commonly called a platform company. How many uh, roll-ups roll or add-ons are you going to make? None of the diligence is ever perfect. None of it. The question is, how many times did we do postmortem forensics on what actually happened that, what, that did not meet our expectations, and uh, what will we do differently next time? And I can even give you an example. Okay. 
small businesses uh, tend not to have the systems that they require when they're three times as big. That That's almost an axiom. I, and of those companies you enumerated, I can only say one had the system that could triple the next day. One, I don't like that math. So you know you're going to have to make that big investment. When we do systems diligence in a typical private equity transaction, we don't ask the right questions. And there's really only one question that you should answer. Everything else is subservient to it. Okay. This system support a company tomorrow morning that's three times as big as it is today. Okay. And again, I've only had one company in 21 years that said yes. And it happened to be, it happened to be true. They were accurate. Okay. Exceptional CTO. I mean, an exceptional CTO. Wow. Oh, the, so it isn't uh, what we have that we should be diligencing against. I mean, let's go back to the sextant and the North Star. Is that what do we need to be able to manage that inevitably significantly larger company? And technology is essential to productivity. Okay. Otherwise, you're doing a lot of manual stuff. It's not backed up. It's not efficient. It's not effective. Technology is the silver bullet. It is the silver bullet. By the way, the process has to be right before you decide to enable it with technology. But the symbiosis between the right process and technology is the silver bullet. Got it. Excellent. I love the underscoring of let's celebrate and let's reflect. Acknowledgement, both sides of the coin, right? Acknowledgement, what went well, right? We provided this value. We did this well. This process worked, right? Leveraging this person's knowledge worked. What didn't work, right? And yeah, it's, it's easy to stay comfortable and not dig into those conversations, right? And yeah, ask the true questions about, you know, it's a cycle. Right. We, we, we complete a project, an initiative, and then are we ready to launch the next one? Right. And do we have the capabilities to do so? It's a circle of life. Yeah. That before. <laughs> the line. Uh, you, you have shared so many great concepts and uh, thoughts to really make sure that we are tuning into the true priorities right, planning appropriately for them and involving people uh, along the way in the ways that are going to increase our chances for long-term success. Thank you so much for being on the Courage of a Leader podcast today. It's been a genuine pleasure. I, I, if nothing else comes through in this, I love what I do. I just <laughs> yeah. love what I do. And we could be talking this time tomorrow and I still wouldn't have run out of content. I just love this stuff. We we could have spoken for hours. And um, I mean, really, we just scratched the surface of your knowledge and you shared so much great stuff with us today. Thanks again, John. My genuine pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Courage of a Leader podcast. If you'd like to further explore this episode's topic, please reach out to me through the Courage of a Leader website at www.courageofaleader.com. I'd love to hear from you. Please take the time to leave a review on iTunes. That helps us expand our reach and get more people fully stepping into their leadership potential. Until next time, be bold and be brave because you've got the Courage of a Leader.